Boxing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning fear. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good evening, my brewing brothers and sisters. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Johnny. Hi, buddy. Ah, oh, here we are. A wonderful Sunday night in Pacheco. Pacheco, Pacheco. I do miss some mornings though, too. Yeah, I, I do too. You yeah. know, because it was. I miss my coffee. It was yeah. our time. You yeah. know, it was our early morning get together. Yeah. And this is kind of you know it's like the stale leavings of the Sunday show. Right. Everybody's <laughs> been drinking for three and a half hours and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, if I didn't have like a job to do that actually paid me money, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, we'd still be like, you know, I'd be Monday through Friday. Uh, I'd be the morning guy, <laughs> the morning zoo, <laughs> morning zoo in Pacheco. Jamil's news. <laughs> yes. All right. Speaking of the morning zoo. All right. Uh, uh, today we're going to cover uh, Southern English Brown. Mm. But before we get to Southern English Brown, which is again one of my favorite styles, I know I say that probably <laughs> like every show. But I love them all. I wanted to talk about uh, pH meters. Okay, random. Okay. <laughs> uh, not, not quite random. I get yeah. you know emails in and stuff, and, right. and uh, somebody was checking uh, the test strips against the pH meter, just trying to dial in how they uh, use the the strips and all that, and, and the accuracy. And I get really good accuracy out of those those uh, color fast uh, strips that mm-hmm. you dip, and I can get you know a tenth of a pH accuracy with those against against my bench meter. And they're great. Well, and one of the things, and and it wasn't just this, but it was a couple other people that were using uh, the handheld pH meters. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things about them is they're fine when they're brand new. <laughs> oh yeah. But the uh, the little uh, probe that's on those they go bad pretty quick. Oh yeah. Now any pH probe, even on my bench meter, uh, it goes bad over time. Just sitting there, if you, even if you don't use it, it gets. It deteriorates. Even with storage solution? Yes. Hmm. It, it Over time, it breaks down, and you're really not going to do very well with that thing. So uh, what happens is that the, the calibration of the thing goes off. And you'll put in calibration solution, and it'll calibrate. And you put in another solution, <laughs> calibrate, yeah. and you think you're fine. And, you go and back. it's totally, totally screwy. Right. And uh, the, the thing to do is, and the, those are fine. I think uh, I think either you, you buy the strips... If if uh, you know budget is a concern and it's for a hundred strips, it's twenty five bucks, twenty six bucks, something like That's that. Deal. Yeah. But you know what you can do is cut them in half. You cut them in half lengthwise. Oh, there you go. And then you can use half of one of those strips. It's still enough that you can detect color. I know people who cut them in thirds. Whoa! And uh, doing uh, some water testing. And uh, so you can cut them in in half, and you get two hundred for the price. There you go. So if it's a little expensive for you, and you got more time than you got money, uh, you know, just slice them down the middle. Uh, and if you're not going to do that, if you if you got the money to spend, go with a bench meter. And you want a bench meter that has the ability to tell you when your probe is going bad. Nothing I hate worse than a bad probe. <laughs> I agree. When your probe's not working, yeah, you're not Better. a happy yeah. happy brewer. Mm-hmm. And uh, these bench meters, they can tell you when the probe is not, you know, where it'll still calibrate, but it's like starting to question right. whether, you know, this is exactly accurate or not. And it'll tell you when to replace it. Otherwise, you need to replace that probe pretty much yearly. Right. If you don't replace it every year, 
the numbers you're getting are probably not that accurate. What do you think about using both just to calibrate each other? Uh, absolutely, that, that's excellent. And yeah. I think uh, you know, you'll you'll you know try you know if you have the bench meter, they'll tell you you know that everything's okay and you've you've you got a good uh, bench meter. You can uh, then compare uh, your handheld to that and see how it's going. And some of those handhelds that uh, Morbier sells, I think they have replaceable probe tips, don't they? They do, yeah. The PEP5, which we, I don't think we carry that anymore. But the Milwaukee mm-hmm. bench top is mm-hmm. great. Correct. With, right. with ATC, for mm-hmm. sure. Right. So the ATC mm-hmm. for the temperature control. And then, uh, uh, but the, uh, you know, some of them will tell you when the probe's going bad. Yeah. And a flash of light up in the corner or something. Yeah, yeah. When mine comes up with like a question mark and says, you know, yeah, check the probe. <laughs> yeah, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like, probe may be crappy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, check this out. So, uh, you know, that's the thing on pH meters. So they can be great, but, you know, the, the strips are a good, inexpensive alternative. You know, it can be quite accurate. Um, I have no, no trouble reading those strips. Um, but if you want to go to a meter, I really like the bench meters. And the bench meters they have, you know, again, it's a replaceable probe that you can use. So, uh, yeah, good stuff there. The other thing I wanted to cover was, uh, on the Icebox show, I gave the equivalent, uh, yeast to 830 as, uh, 2206. And it's actually 2124. Oh, there you go. That's a good question. The 830 would be, uh, the 2124. Okay. Do you know what yeast it was that you said? Um, I th- I said twenty two oh six, and it's twenty one twenty four. Okay. Uh, somebody okay. straight me out. Kai, I think, straight me out on that one. Nice. Well, another correction, and, and uh, you know, you do shows long enough, right? Eventually, you say some fucked up. Uh, eventually, <laughs> you say some messed up stuff. I agree. Let that anger out. Talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to go back. You got to correct everything. You know, yeah. is have we had a correction to this date? Uh, not that I can recall, no. Right, yeah. That's just like, uh, I don't say wrong stuff, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, or even I, if you do, people don't say anything. Exactly. Yeah, they no. just don't, don't mess with the phone. <laughs> they're not, they're not gonna call me on it. Right, right. Alright, so, and actually this is, this is a correction I'm making on myself. You know, when you do the, uh, uh sour beer with the Flanders with the plastic bucket, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just thinking it, it allows too much air through, too much oxygen through. <laughs> You want some, and it's a balancing act. Now, you want the uh, the brett and all that to form its pellicle and go through that whole process and kind of give a little funkify to the beer and right. the drop. But um, if you're giving it too much oxygen, it will produce too much acetic acid. Oh. And and I've had really good success, and I think it's a temperature thing uh-huh. where you know the amount of acetic acid versus lactic is just right. And you want a little in a in a Flanders red. You want a little bit of vinegary okay. in a in a Ode Brune, a Flanders brown. You don't want any vinegary. You really want just a little bit of lactic. And a couple other beers. You generally you, you don't want any vinegary in almost any beer except for a Flanders red. Right. Lambics, all those, no vinegary. No vinegar. Know. And uh, on the Flanders red, you want a, a touch. Well, the the deal is, uh, this last batch I did. How long did you leave it in there? It's been in there like six, seven months, and usually. And the balance is wonderful. And right. in this case, this thing is so vinegary. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, it's, it's got to be some combination of things that are doing it. And the plastic bucket, you know, usually I get a pretty bold vinegar right. from the plastic bucket. But this is way over bold. And, uh, yeah, this is this is past it. So okay. you really, you know, um, and I did uh, one in a carboy, 
with just a plastic cap on it, and that doesn't have enough. So I'm going to blend the two. There you go. You know, no problem. Uh, probably don't one of my, waste it. my very first blendings of beers. I don't, normally don't blend beers at all, nice. and I'm going to actually blend these two. Good I'm all excited. Oh. Like, a, like, a, like, a, like a my prom. <laughs> um, <laughs> you blended at your prom? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so uh, I would recommend, you know, Raj Apta has... Uh, I've met him. Yeah, he Very has, on his site, he has a thing about uh, using a wooden dowel to uh, in a carboy mm-hmm. to get the right amount of oxygen uh, transfer uh, to compare it to like a Rodenbach uh, barrel. Mm-hmm. He's measured out the size of the barrels versus the number of liters of beer versus surface area versus uh, the uh, going cross grain versus with the grain. Whoa. And so, uh, you know, like an oak, red oak dowel will give you just about the right amount. I think that's really the way to go. I, I'm convinced, you know. Like I, I was getting really, you know, yeah. good results. And the, th- the thing I, I think is most important is getting consistency. Right. You know, where you can adjust things, get it just right, and then, you know, you're able to uh, reproduce. And the more you can reproduce your, your, your process and the type of beer, then you can adjust from it. And so... I had really good results with the plastic book, but I'm, I'm going more to the, uh, the Raj Opta method. <laughs> nice. I think that's that's really the, the way Raj to go. Opta formula. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, I think and and Raj, I talked to him just recently about uh, about that and uh, putting that method in the book, and he goes, "Well, now I'm using uh, just that's a rubber cool. stopper huh. with a dowel in in the middle." And he goes, "Yeah, it's close enough." Yeah, it's like, well, you know, that's a lot smaller. And he thinks it's okay. I, I think you're not going to get enough vinegar. I think you'd get just enough vinegar with the uh, the full wooden pick. Okay. So I, I would go that way. But he's, you know, I, I think it depends on the type of wood the dowel's made out of. Right. So he's, he's also... He's a T-cork or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, you have to play around with that. Mm. And I think, you know, uh, maybe maybe there's room for s- still more experimentation people out there could do. Mm. So those are kind of the things I had today to kind of uh, you know, get off my chest. You clarified there. Feel better? <sighs> uh, yes, much better. You're right. you're feisty. <laughs> you're feeling good now. It's that hot Latin blood in me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to ever see you dance. I, should, I, should, yeah. I shouldn't have had so many transfusions recently. Ooh. All right. So tell us about uh, Southern English Brown. Well, um, Southern English Browns are very, very malty and sweet. Um they have some hint of fruit, fruitiness, a little bit of raisin plum character coming through. Uh, the longer you age them in a bottle or in a keg, that fruit character kind of comes out. I've noticed maybe some oxidation kind of comes through, but um, definitely a good beer to age, you know, past three, six months. Um, colors light to dark brown in color. Um, very little bitterness, hardly any. Um, if you do the hops that you do use, you should. Use them to balance out the sweetness and the residual malts that, you know, because it's a cloyingly sweet kind of beer. Um, Gravity's 1042. I don't know. You can go bigger if you want. It depends um, what you're going for. Um, soft on the palate, usually really, really soft. No, I mean, it should be like just velvet, almost like clean, clear, great head retention. Um, and just very soft, malty, refreshing beer. I like this beer for dessert. In a frozen glass, um, it's just like caramel candy, and it's just very, very enjoyable to drink. Um, yeah, I would keep brewing and brewing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing you said, uh, yeah, it does have a malty sweetness to it, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know if I'd put it in the cloying category. Okay, because uh, 
you know, I, but you know, so one person's cloying might be another person's, uh, not so cloying. Okay. Uh, and maybe that's the case here. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 like you're saying, it's, uh, similar to maybe even a sweet stout. No, you know, not as big. Yeah, see that. You know? Yeah. But uh, it's got some sweetness to it. Uh, you know, some people look at it as like a bigger version of a mild, a dark mild. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the thing is, uh, you know, the perception of these beers earlier on were that they were much bigger beers. And, uh, you know, the style guide now has really dialed it down to, um, you know, upper gravity of 1042, a lower gravity of 1035. So it's like a big mild. Right. And, uh, my friend, uh, Ron Hartman and I used to brew one that was, uh, very similar to this. I used to call it a small brown. Small brown, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we'd target around 1040, 1038 to 1040. And, uh, like you're saying, you know, malty sweet, a real malt oriented right. with, uh, quite a bit of roast and, uh, not a lot of hot bitterness. Right. But, uh, uh, we've made it, uh, you know, black as night sometimes and, you know, but it's really, uh, you know, a darker brownish. But, uh, so have you had any good, uh, Southern English browns or? Only the one that Olin from Beer, the founder yeah. makes. Yeah. And like, this is his recipe. Yeah. Like if he, it was, if he was to be stranded on an island, uh-huh. this would be his recipe. Cool. It's, but he makes his bigger, like 1055, 1060. Right, right. And it's, it's so good. It's so delicious. He oaks it too. A little bit of French oak uh-huh. to kind of bring out the little vanilla character in the malt. It's so well done. I think you kind of cut me here because uh, you've, had, you've had my son English brown, haven't you? I, I have. <laughs> so when I ask our, you, ours went have head you to had head. have you had a good Southern English brown? You're supposed to say, well, yours obviously, and uh, <laughs> you know, and a couple of others. Yeah, yeah. I can only you remember know, but, Owens, but Your, mine is supposed to, to leap to mind. <laughs> you know, as being the the beer that really makes it for you, it makes right. your nipples hard, right? No, no. I know it makes Justin's nipples hard. <laughs> Honesty is John's best policy. Yeah, yeah. No, this this is one of the beers that Justin, when he tasted, he said, you know, it's like the best beer he's ever had. Oh, then it was the first Jay-Z beer I ever had. Yeah. Wow. That's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. The first Jay-Z beer I ever had, I went, holy shit. Was yeah, that? it was Southern English Brown. Okay. Wow. I'm sorry to break your heart, buddy. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm really just not uh, going with you as the expert on this because... Okay. Now, now, who placed in the uh, na- second round of the Nationals? Uh, well, your higher? brown went against my brown, and you, yeah, yeah. I I lost. Yes. But okay. my brown, <laughs> the one that I brewed at Olin's, did get first, first round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess what oh, ha- yeah. really matters is the final results. So. That's right. Yeah. Who's carrying home the hardware? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a judge's fault. Yeah, yeah. freaking judges don't know what the hell they're talking about. That's a problem. Damn. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, all right, all right. So, have you brewed any uh, Southern English browns? I just brew all in Southern English. Yeah, how did yeah. it turn out? It's delicious. It's great. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's, he goes for 1055, 1060 OG. Really big, multi brown, and it finished about 1015, 1018. So, it's a big, bold mm-hmm. English brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Correct. It's awesome. Okay. When we come back from the break, we will get into the uh, recipe for Southern English Brown, uh, my award-winning one, and uh, Olin, uh, Olin doesn't need any awards. Olin John's uh, <laughs> not quite so award-winning one. We'll be, we'll be back real quick. This 
is the Jamil Show. Jamil, I think you've officially befriended or defriended me. You're, unfriended you're, you're, me. You're, you're, you were you're, silent the whole break. I'm. You're you're interrupting I'll, my whole coming back from break. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What's the matter with you? I'll, I'll brew a good English brown for you. You're 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 out of control. You're out of control. <laughs> get get this guy the hell out of here. We're stuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, let's back on back on task here. Now, what's the what's the not so great recipe you have for Southern English brown? Ooh! Hammer hammer through that bad boy real quick. Oh, man. Wow! Ouch! <laughs> the president and founder of More Beer, Olin Schultz, wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. we'll just we'll just document that there. Well, some people Four or five can, gallons. Some, some people can. The others, yeah, open a homebrew shop. That's uh, awesome. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who's provided you unconditionally for your success? Unconditional love. Yes. Yes. I love Olin. Okay. He's a good guy. Uh, let's see. Uh, five gallon batch. It's seven pounds of British crisp Maris otter. Uh-huh. Uh Five pounds of Tiro. A pound of Vienna. A half pound of aromatic. Half pound of Cara Munich, 70L. Half pound of Cara Vien, 24L. Quarter pound of Crystal 75 and a quarter pound of chocolate. And for bittering, he uses uh, two ounces of Willamette hops. And then the last five minutes, four ounces of Willamette. Uh, British 005 yeast. I ferment this cool, uh, 58 to 62 for three weeks in the primary. And then I do wow, a... 58 to 62. Cold. Cold. And then I do a... Diaspora rest for about a week after that, up to around 64, 66. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it turns out delicious. And if you want to be creative, oak it with an ounce of uh, French oak chips for about a week in the yeah. secondary. Yeah, one of the things about oaking a beer, uh, if it if it's a subtle oak character, you're okay to enter it in, you know, whatever category right. you have. But it needs to be really subtle. Right. Right. If it, you know, just a background note, if it's bolder than that, then it needs to be in the uh, wood-aged beer uh, right. category. Right. It's a different category altogether. Uh, that, that actually sounds pretty good. Not bad. That's, it's it's an over-the-top, yeah. you know, Southern English. Much better than most of your recipes. Yeah. I can tell Olin knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give away mine to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all mine anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually never used it. I, I showed, that's not true. That's not true. I've used one of your porters before. Yeah. Oh, you've used more than that. You can't <laughs> even remember. You can, you're like, oh, yeah, I brewed your recipe for this. I brewed your recipe for that. And then it's like, oh, no, I haven't been brewing your recipes for <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where this recipe where's came the, from. Where's our anger management course here? All right. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's a recipe. This is straight out of the upcoming book of... Uh, Brewing classic beer styles, whatever the hell that's going to be called. Uh, coming up this fall from John Palmer, Mr. John Rock Candy Palmer. Rock Candy. <laughs> and yours truly. And Jingle the Pope, Z. Yes, Zanishev. There you go. Okay. Uh, we're going to target an original gravity at 1041. Uh, final gravity about 1013. That's an attenuation of about 69%. Mm, good number. Uh, <laughs> I love that 69. Uh, IBUs, 17 IBU. It's going to be about 26 SRM. Alcohol is going to be about 3.8% ABV. Wow. Session beer. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could sell this one in uh, Utah because they go 3.2 by weight or 4% by volume. There you go. I've had some really excellent beers in Utah, and I tell you, you don't have to have a lot of alcohol in a beer to really make it fantastic. 
for the extract brewers, we're going to start off with an English pale ale extract. Mm. And uh, the reason you want to use that, and, and ideally one that's made from like a Maris Otter uh, cultivar of uh, a grain, and uh, that's uh, a grain that's um, kilned to be a little darker, a little uh, uh, more biscuity, mm-hmm. uh, toasty type of background character. I think it's very important on all English beers sure. to have something like that. Right. Uh, you know, without that, it's it's you know it's really it's too clean, it's too lacking. It becomes much more like an American pub beer, mm-hmm. even if you're using English yeast. Mm-hmm. That that uh, malt background is critical. So uh, they have uh, pale ale extract. Uh, English pale ale extract. I know more beer carries it. I think Northern Brewer, a couple others, uh, might carry it as well. You know, check with your local homebrew shop. Uh, you're going to use about five pounds of the liquid, uh, malt extract or 2.26 kilograms. And then for steeping grains, uh, you're going to use, uh, Crystal 80, one pound or, or 0.45 kilos. Uh, Crystal 120, you're going to use about 10 ounces or 284 grams. Uh, special roast, which is, um, Something uh, from Brees that's uh, like a twice uh, kilned malt, and it's got a very How dark is it? unusual. This is uh, fifty level bond, wow. and uh, it's got a very unique flavor. I haven't found anything else that really replaces it. Now, Victory you can replace with like a biscuit malt or an aromatic. That's pretty. Uh, it is but, biscuity, but special yeah. roast is uh, you know a different thing altogether. I, I haven't found anything that really replaces it, and this is a half pound. Uh, or 227 grams of special roast. And pale chocolate. I really love that pale chocolate. It gives, uh, a gentle, roasty coffee, uh, chocolatey, uh, and toasty, like dark toasty, uh, slightly, uh, like burnt toast, mm. uh, character. Uh, pale chocolate, 200 level bond, 6 ounces or 170 grams. And then the, uh, carafe special. The special is the huskless carafe. Right. You don't want too much roastiness in this. This is not a highly roasty beer. This is, um, uh, you know, it's got uh, some dark fruit type of thing going on. It's got, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, slight uh, chocolatey, but it's not um, a highly roasted beer. And uh, so you need to kind of be careful on that. Uh, but it is a dark beer, so I use the uh, Craft Special 2. Use uh, um, a quarter pound or 113 grams of that. Hmm. And that's kind of the grain bill. If you're an all-grain brewer, uh, go with, uh, replace that pa- English pale ale extract with seven pounds of English pale ale malt and mash at 150 degrees Fahrenheit or 67 degrees C. Wow. And that's going to give you the requisite body uh not too not too much uh long chain dextrins, uh long chain sugars um and uh the right kind of biscuity uh malt background it's, it has a very unique malt background the beer itself you know <clears throat> especially from the use from the specialty grains um special roast Correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't it have kind of a little bit of a fruit character to it, like grape nuts kind of? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's almost and, uh, sour, tangy. Yeah, yeah, and that totally complements this beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it adds a, an interesting character all around, and it really doesn't take a whole lot to uh, have that effect on a on a on a batch this size. This is a six gallon batch, should I say? Uh, six gallons of of wort, wort finished right, wort. Right. So I like to leave a half gallon behind in the kettle. And then I put five and a half gallons in the fermenter, and then after I'm done fermenting, I put five gallons of that into the uh, into the keg or into the bottles. And then five gallons in your body. 
Right, so that's why right. I start with six. Right. Um, and, you know, a half pound of a special roast will actually have a, an interesting little effect. Not overwhelming, uh, but uh, interesting little effect. What about, th- like, the use of different types of English yeast strains and how they can contribute different malt flavors to these type of specialty grains? Because mm-hmm. y- yeast, they all produce different flavor mm-hmm. and even different, they contribute different color, too. Mm-hmm. Just like an English 002 or an 005 will change the whole malt in your beer, mm-hmm. even with the same recipe. Right. You know, I just... Right. Well, I think know. that's a, a good point. What happens is, um, you know, the yeast actually uh, remove some of the color. And they mm-hmm. remove, uh, just like they remove hot bitterness and hot flavor and such, the uh, outer surface of the yeast... Uh, the cells actually uh, bind up with uh, hop resins and uh, iso-alpha acids. Uh, and this is how yeast change the color of the beer. Uh, depends on the, you know, the size of the yeast cells and the, the quantity and, uh, you know, the state of their uh, membrane, cell membrane. But uh, that's what actually um, has a big effect on uh, bitterness. And actually, you know, people talk about... Um, uh, you know, yeast viability, kind of getting off track here, but, <laughs> you know, yeast viability. And what happens is, uh, you know, the a high, a high bittering beer, if, you know, we talk about high alcohol beers, right. uh, effect on the viability of yeast, but, you know, anytime you get over 5%, it has an impact. Hmm. But a high bitter beer, you know, even if you're under 5% alcohol, if you have a lot of bittering, a lot of isoalpha acids in that beer, in that wort, it's going to clog up essentially the yeast cells, and uh, viability drops considerably the higher the IBUs. They actually, it's it's such a an issue. They actually have a method, a patented method, for de uh, bittering or removing. De- do a Google for debittering yeast, and I'm sure you come up with it. Debittering yeast. Yeah, they uh, actually remove the bittering compounds, the isoalpha acids from the yeast, and viability goes back up. Wow. During fermentation? Uh, no, this uh, is prior, but prior to, but yeah, th- this is a, a technique they have for restoring yeast health. Weird. And uh, so, uh, I don't know where we, we were going, no but uh, it, it, it actually has to do with, um, um, you were saying how the different yeasts can affect the flavor and the malt profile mm-hmm. and the overall character of the beer, and that's absolutely true. And, you know, part of it is, you know, it's a uh, tendency to bind with these compounds in the beer. Part of it is the um, uh, various uh, things that it excretes as it makes alcohol, as it uh, consumes the sugars, mm-hmm. as it grows. All these things do affect the final beer. In this type of beer... Um, since it's a lower gravity beer, I like to go with a lower attenuating yeast. So in this case, I use um, uh, the White Labs uh, WLP002 English Ale or the Y Yeast uh, 1968 London ESB. Or uh, you know, if you want to do a dry yeast, you can do the Fermentus uh, Safile SO4. Right. And uh, I like to choose the lower attenuating yeast in a smaller beer to leave a little more residual sugar behind, a little more body, a little more uh, uh, flavor, a little more, you know, make it seem like a fuller beer. Mm-hmm. If you go with too dry beer, if the uh, 05 that you're using in your recipe uh, is fine for a bigger beer where you want a little more fermentation, uh, attenuation. Uh, but in a smaller beer like this, 
be too dry then. Yeah, yeah. It, it can it can it can dry it out and make it uh, too thin a beer right. in this case because uh, we're starting at at uh, you know ten forty one, so a little over ten Plato, and um, you know you can end up if you end up with a seventy five percent attenuation uh, parent degree of, uh, fermentation there, it can be uh, too much, hmm. you know, too thin a beer. It depends on what you're trying to get, but in this in this uh, the style you want some sweetness and some residual sugar, so. Um, well, I think the style opens up a lot of other doors for brewers. I mean, experimenting with specialty grains in your brew, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, wort manipulation, you right. know, kind of experiment with Caramuna, Caravine, Special B, and all that good jazz, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you can, malt is so important to beer. I mean, beer is malty, you know, by nature, and I mm-hmm. think it allows you to kind of be creative. Right. You know? Yeah. Just don't use like 100% chocolate or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think on this beer, actually, yeah, that's a pretty good beer to experiment because it'll uh, the style will take quite a bit of specialty grains right. without uh, being really, you know, terribly out of style. Hmm. So you can do a lot of a lot of different things like that. You know, there's not many commercial examples in the guidelines. I mean, no, there's, it's, I don't, it's a rare beer. It's going out. It's. Um, do you know anybody in California or that bruises or me? <laughs> Um, me too. Yeah, yeah. Come on by, try it, try it. But uh, it's one of those uh, you know rare beers that's uh, really going out, uh, and it's it's going to be uh, you know one of those things that goes away. Uh, as far as hops go, we didn't cover hops. I like to use uh, Kent Goldings. Well, it's not a bad choice. That's uh, like an American version of Fuggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, certainly not a, a, a bad hop to choose for English beers, but I really prefer either the Kent Goldings or the Fuggles. The Kent Goldings, in this case, uh, I think is you know, the right character. At 5% alpha acid, you would use um, uh, 0.85 ounce or 24 grams, uh, just a 60-minute addition, no aroma or f- flavor additions. You want all just bittering. That's going to give you about 17.4 IBUs using the Rager formula. And... Uh, I think that kind of gives you uh, a good uh, balance of bitter to sweet. It's it's a fairly low hopped beer. I'm gonna take a little break here. What are we gonna talk about? Mash temps, extract, don't like a jazz. Cool. We'll be back. Early this morning, knocked upon my door. Early this morning. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. Talking Southern English Brown with my homie, John Plissé. Yeah. yeah, we are. Yeah, that's kind of like a hey, Cajun Holmes. type of name, isn't it? I like the water boy. And, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You can do it. <laughs> no? No. No, it isn't? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> thought you had like a little Cajun thing going on there. <laughs> no. Johnny, <Please>. please. <laughs> no? Sorry, man. Oh, uh, man. 
I enjoy the uh, Cajun people. Yeah, I'm sure I you do. Didn't, uh, wow. Think anything negative of that? <laughs> certainly. <laughs> and not, I didn't take it negatively. Okay. I don't want you offending our Cajun listeners. Hey, you're you're the one talking. I'm just uh, laughing with you. I think I think <laughs> the show goes over big on the Bayou. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, let's see here. All right. So uh, when you're fermenting this bad boy. You're going to want to use uh, you know, proper amount of yeast in this case. You're going to need eh, maybe 8 grams of uh, properly dehydrated, uh, rehydrated and dry yeast. You know, 8 to 10 grams. And uh, you're going to use uh, two liquid yeast packages, or you're going to make a, a 1 liter starter using one package of your liquid yeast. Ferment around 68 degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh, 20 degrees C. And we're finished. You're going to carbonate that beer from uh, one to one and a half volumes, and serve uh, you know 52 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit, 11 to 13 degrees C. And the reason you don't go with a very high level of carbonation on something like this is that uh, you know too high a level of carbonation can really dry out and kind of acidify a beer. Uh, we tried uh, an icebox earlier on, which I'm sure was a big, rich beer, but it had so much carbonation in it, it actually kind of thinned it out a little mm-hmm. bit and made it kind of acidic and a little harsh. And uh, it's amazing. So, you know, carbonation is everything. And I think, uh, you know, Kevin uh, Pratt and I were talking during the earlier show about how carbonation will affect everything in a beer. It affects your mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. It affects uh, the flavor. It affects the aroma, and it affects the appearance. And, you know, the overall impression, that's pretty much everything on a judging sheet, right? Wow. So it affects the aroma because carbonation lifts up the aroma and, and helps, uh, defu- you know, carry uh, those aromatic compounds out of the beer hmm. up to the, the drinker's nose. It affects the appearance by developing head in the beer, right? Right. It affects flavor by giving it, uh, you know, a, a, an acid balance or, uh, you know, helping to, um, you know, cut some sweetness sometimes. Uh, if you go with, uh, uh, you know, a high carbonation, it also affects, you know, mouthfeel in different ways. If it's too much carbonation, it actually seem large bubbles and make the beer seem thinner. So on a, on a small beer like this where you don't have a lot of residual dextrins, where you don't have a lot of uh, things going on in the beer, going with a lower carbonation actually can make it r- seem rich and creamy. Actually, if you go with no carbonation, a beer will th- seem thin and, and lifeless. Mm, right, a little watery. Right. right. Mm. If you go with too much carbonation, a beer sure. will seem gassy and lifeless and thin and lifeless. Right. It's kind of a balancing act with the various beers. And on a smaller beer like this, especially on these English beers, you go on like one to one and a half volumes. Your typical American pale ale is carbonated, you know, two and a half to three volumes. So you're going about half your priming sugar if you're, if you're doing this, uh, uh bottled with priming sugar. So then why is carbonation only three points on the judging sheet? Well, you know, again, I think, you know, Kevin and I were talking about this earlier, and we had this discussion where, you know, it affects everything in the beer. But it's but, not. you know, so, uh, you know, the the actual head that shows up on the beer mm-hmm. may be one point of appearance. Oh, uh, okay. Right, out of those three. But carbonation is part of aroma, which is 12 points, and flavor, which is 20 points, and mouthfeel, which is 5 points. So it's part of all those things. Okay. Improper carbonation will really, you know, dash your beer uh, down. Doesn't, doesn't carbonation affect a malt profile over time? I mean, if you had a beer on at 8, 10 pounds of pressure uh-huh. for... 
one month, then uh-huh. he went back to it three months later. Uh-huh. That malt and that, that malt profile in that beer is going to be different. Uh, not because of the carbonation. Okay, carbonation is going to stay the same. Once equilibrium is reached, mm-hmm. the carbonation will not change. That's that's another interesting point. A lot of people believe that um, if you you have a keg and it's full of beer and uh, it's down low enough where it's the same, it's into the f- full cross section, right? Mm-hmm. Full width of the beer, the keg. And you carbonate it at, you know, 8 PSI for, you know, however long. Okay. Whatever carbonation's in that beer, if you drink it down to halfway, a lot of people think you get more carbonation in the beer. It's the same surface area. It's the same pressure. You're going to end up with the same carbonation. It will not change. The reason it may change over time is that it wasn't actually at equilibrium early on. Right. Right? So... Uh, you know, there's a whole, uh, you know, partial pressure of gases and, uh, you know, you're gonna end up with, you know, that same pressure. It's gonna be, you know, the same thing. But carbonation definitely does affect malt flavor. Uh, right. It doesn't actually change it, but, uh, so if, if you've got too much carbonation in there and it's kind of thinning out the beer and, uh, cutting too much of the sweetness, you can back off on the carbonation on a keg. This is really easy. You just, you know, lower your pressure and over time, uh, you know, it'll come back out and the malt character may change. But it really, you know, it, your impression of the malt character may change, but the malt did not change. It's the same thing in there. Now, a beer that you leave sitting in a keg for three months, is going to change just by the fact that there's chemical processes that are happening. Um, you know, there's some um, carbonic acid in there that may have some slight effect, but generally what's happening is uh, a lot of small, really fine particulate matter is actually dropping out of the beer, out of suspension, form a little yeast. black layer on the bottom. Right. Well, in any residual yeast, but uh, even after that, you know, very fine particulates, um, uh, you know, sometimes the yeast will consume a little bit of the sugars, uh, things change, you know, compounds will, uh, meld over time and, and, uh, you know, there is a chemical reaction going on, but generally the CO2 is not doing that. Can ale yeast still lager, actually lager cold? Sure, you know, and I'm actually of the opinion that, yeah, that whole uh, lagering thing with the yeast remaining active and all that, I'm not really so sure that's true. <laughs> um, maybe if, you know, you've got stuff that the yeast need to do, but generally I think the effect most people are getting is they're just getting chemical reactions and, and time for particulates to drop out, um, you know, versus actual yeast working at 32 degrees and and changing the beer. I think a lot of it is just uh, time and temperature and and uh, you know, chance for things to drop out. Hmm. Customer or con customer? <laughs> well, let me uh, let me finish up. So um, on the carbonation, what was I talking about? The carbonation before you so rudely interrupted me. I know. I'm just on your shit side yeah, of that. I don't know what the hell's going on with you lately. Asshole. This is no. this is just difficult. Yeah. That's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Where's Doc? Um, you know. Um, so in in this case, here's the other thing. So we're talking about having a low level of carbonation, right? In order to uh, retain the body. But one of the things that carbonation does is kick that aroma out of the beer. This is again one of the reasons why you serve this beer a little warmer. So the English beers that are at low carbonation are served, uh, you know, 52 to 55 Fahrenheit, 11 to 13 degrees C. It's because um, 
you know, the aromatic compounds will come out of the beer easier. You don't have as much CO2 to do the work for you. And also it helps um, uh, with the flavor. So this is not a big beer. So a lot of the flavor will come easier to you if the beer is a little warmer. It's really uh, an important thing in, in uh, serving all these English-style beers. All right, so uh, you had some questions from the uh, from the listeners? Yeah, I do. Let's see here. What are the main flavor differences that judges look for between the northern and southern browns? Well, that's a style thing, but... All right, well, you know, uh, when you think um, northern brown, you're thinking uh, Newcastle. So nutty... Dryer. Uh, drier, yeah, good. Um uh, not as malty. Uh, not as malty sweet. Not right. as malty malty. Um, malty malty. And uh, uh, tends to be generally darker in the southern browns, uh, but not necessarily true. Um, but more focused on the nutty biscuity in the northerns, hmm. and a little more on the caramelly, slightly roasty in the southerns. Hmm. Fair enough. Another good question about um, using English yeast. Uh, listener says, I have noticed that my English yeasts aren't as good for the first few generations. For example, 1056 is great right off the first batch, but my English yeast take two to three generations to really get going and tasting great. Is this because of the complex esters produced? No. <laughs> I think, uh, okay. No. No. <laughs> no. It should be good so. right off the first batch. Yeah, it depends. Uh, you know, you, you got to be careful about pitching rates. Um, you know, make sure you're, you're pitching the right amounts. One of the things I find is that the English ale yeast doesn't doesn't have as long a uh, uh, shelf life as the California ale yeast or the uh, 1056 or the uh, 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 WLP001. Those tend to be pretty shelf stable for quite a period of time. Mm-hmm. The English alias, the uh, WLP002, or the um, uh, the uh, 1968 London, um, those tend to die off fairly quickly. So even when you're doing a repitch, um, if you let that sit around for a while, it's probably got. Uh, don't hold me to this, but I think it's got about half the shelf life of the of the uh, 1056, uh, the 001. <laughs> and I think maybe that's part of what what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So in the in the vial or in the pack, uh, you know what you're getting is not quite as viable. So you know, make sure you're doing a starter, and uh, you know that'll restore some health to it. And then uh, yeah, I I I think uh, that's what you're seeing. There's a good question here, too, and I've had this problem with customers in the past, but English strains tend to be temperamental. Like, their final gravities will vary across the board. I have one guy that can have a 10-10 with an English final gravity, and then all of a sudden, same batch, same brew, same mash temps, and it'll finish at like 10-16, mm-hmm. 10-15. I mean... I think it's the same thing. I think, uh, you know, if you get a, a, a package of yeast that's, uh, you know, one week old, and oh, later on, you get a you know it's a package of yeast that's uh, you know a month or two months old, and you're just pitching that. Uh, even if you make a start, or you're starting with fewer cells, uh, you know you, you're you're pitching a, a much lower amount, and you may not get full attenuation. Hmm. Well, excuse me. 
Did you just get oh, blown John. away by the amount of information, or did you just pass gas? No, I passed gas. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell. <laughs> Sorry. It's Go on, please. Get com- the dog over. started crying. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was figuring it was gas. <laughs> Me, I can't tell. It's but. very strange. Whatever it was. Can you pitch um, just a vial of yeast and not worry about doing a starter, since it's such a low-gravity beer? Yeah, you can. You can. All right, good show. Yeah, <laughs> I have some questions for you. Know, okay. uh, you know, if you because we're making this beer, it's right around um, you know starter gravity. You know, there is a uh, limit to uh, to <laughs> there's a limit to uh, <laughs> there's a limit to how big a batch you can do. But uh, you know, up to like a three gallon batch, you can pitch a tube and you know or a pack, and you're just fine. Um, if you're going to um, you know, make a full batch. You really uh, are pushing it with a single package in, in one of these. But you can do it. And, uh, you know, it'll turn out just fine. Just fine. And then, uh, you know, it's a nice beer, like Ordinary Bitter. It's a nice beer to make uh, more yeast for your other English beers. There you go. So you do it, and then, you know, you can use the yeast. And it, it's going to turn out a fine beer. may not be exactly the same as if you pitch the right uh, amount, but it'll be real close. Anything else? Or are we done? I think, I think JC has some, some chat room, chat room questions for you. Uh, okay, Jesus. Any thoughts of first wort hopping a brown like this? You know, first wort hopping doesn't do anything good okay. for a beer. Right? And, and any beer, whatever, JC says. Well, and I mean, I don't want to spill well, the beans on uh, Experiment Denny uh, Cone uh, ran just recently. But, but you're going to. Yeah. No, <laughs> just, you know, just trust me on this. You're really wasting your time with first word hopping. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, you were talking about the pH meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody had the question, uh, not quite on topic, but uh, what pH would you stop your sparge at? Well, uh, generally, you want to keep it below uh, pH of 6 in order to avoid extracting, you know, undue amounts of tannins from the grain husks. So, um, you know, as long as you're in pH, you know, 5.8 or whatever, you can sparge all you want. You're not going to extract any tannins or you know, excessive tannins. You're always extracting tannins. Okay. Actually, that's a really good question. Um, I was reading a Kolsch book. And they'll do a really thin, watery mash because they want to have like two thirds their volume of wort at yeah. a proper pH. So yeah. when they sparge, that way they don't, they don't get above six. See, because I thought you only had to pay attention to the gravity of your wort when you're doing it. Like that's when you stop sparging is when it gets below a certain gravity, not the pH. Yeah, it's actually pH based. And what happens is, um, as your gravity lowers, you, you, you've been adding a lot of water, and you've been, you know, the pH has been going up, up, up I all see. this time, and that's just another indicator. And even temperature is really not that big a deal as far as uh, extracting tannins from the grains. Mm-hmm. It's really pH based. Okay. So uh, you know, if you can keep things down in the in the mid fives to lower, then you have no real problem with the. Uh, Extracting too much tannins, and and with a beer like a brown, where you're you're getting a lot of things, a lot of color from the grain, are you you more focused on on tannins and pH than a different kind of a beer, or not so much? No, um, you know, you're part of what you're doing for pH is providing the proper environment for the yeast, also you know proper kettle coagulation, proper isomerization of the. Uh, uh, hop uh, acids, uh, you know, various things like that. Okay. So that's really what you're you're targeting now. On a beer that has a lot of roasty grains in it, a darker beer, 
uh, you know, those darker grains are going to pull down the pH of the mash and pull down. So, um, you know, when you adjust your water uh, for acid, um, what I do is I use lactic acid. You can use phosphoric or, you know, any food-grade acid just about. I, uh, you know, you're, you're really just targeting, uh, you know, a specific pH. Okay. Okay, and then just the last thing is uh, you very specifically gave your mash temperature, but uh, there was some discussion in the forum mm-hmm. just about different mash temps, so mm-hmm. maybe just uh, reiterate why you like that mash temperature so much, which was what, 153, you said? Right, 153 on my system, you know, using using what, what I've got. Um, you, you know, mash temp is going to range depending on, you know, what your brew system is. What you're trying to do is achieve a certain character in the beer. On my system... Which is a Morbier 1550. Uh, what I get at uh, that temperature is the right balance of the longer chain sugars versus the shorter chain. You know, leaving a little more body, etc., uh, etc. Et so, um, you know, the alpha amylase, the beta amylase, which which one's most active at a given temperature? So, you know, if you go to the um, lower temperatures, you're getting more enzyme activity. Favoring shorter chain sugars, favoring more fermentable wort, favoring more attenuation in a thinner, drier beer at the end. You get with the higher temperature, more longer chain sugars, less fermentable, and it leaves by some some body as well. Okay, and that'll do it. Sum us up, and uh, we'll go to the next one. All right, so. For Southern English Brown, uh, my recipe is um, for uh, six gallons. You're doing a 1041 OG, and uh, we're targeting about 17.4 IBUs using the Rager formula. Extract brewers, you're going to use uh, English Pale Ale uh, extract, about five pounds or 2.26 kilograms. For an all-grain brewer, you're going to use uh, seven pounds or 3.17 kilograms of an English Pale Ale malt mash at 153 or 67 degrees C. Your uh, other grains in there, you're going to have a Crystal 80, uh, 1 pound or 0.45 kilograms. Crystal 120, 10 ounces or 284 grams. Special Roast, a half pound or 227 grams. Pale Chocolate, uh, 6 ounces or 170 grams. Graph a Special 2, a quarter pound or 113 grams. Use some Kent Golding hops at 60 minutes. Uh, if it's 5% alpha acid, you're going to use uh, 0.85 ounce or 24 grams to give you 17.4 IBUs using the Rager formula. Ferment with uh, White Labs WLP002 English Ale Yeast or Y-Yeast 1968 London ESB Yeast. Or if you're a dry yeast user, you can go with uh, Fermenta Safale SO4. Ferment that bad boy around 68 degrees Fahrenheit, 20 degrees C. Carbonate to 1 to 1.5 volume. Serve at 52 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 11 to 13 degrees C. And you'll have a mighty fine drinking beer. And uh, if you're interested in uh, uh, Olin's recipe, which John has uh, absconded with, you're just going to have to back up in the show. (laughs) Actually, if you go to More Beer, it's More Beer's Multi Brown. There you go. There you go. It's pretty good. Great show. Uh, Next show up is going to be Bohemian Pilsner. The original Budweiser. The original. <laughs> Good show, my brother. Cheers. Bruce Tom. The Jamil Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. 
please send questions for Jamil to jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.